everyone, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. On today's episode, as a Yuzhan Vong defector offers the New Republic information on how to defeat the invaders, Han Solo continues to come to terms with Chewbacca's death. When an old friend from the past asks him for help, Han returns to his old smuggler's ways, turning away from his family and the grief he's still dealing with. When Han's journey intersects with a new Republic intelligence operation, he discovers a conspiracy aimed at destroying the Jedi. It's Agents of Chaos One, Hero's Trial, by James Luceno. And joining me to talk about the story is my good friend Kat from the Animated Antics podcast. Welcome back to the show, Kat. Hello, hello. I loved our discussion a few weeks ago about Vector Prime. I did too, and I secretly feel like I'm getting the best books in this series because I'm super excited to talk about this book. <laughs> That's great. Uh, now, now, I'm sure the listeners are asking themselves, hey, Aaron, at the end of the last episode, you said your friend K2 would be the guest co-host on today's episode. What gives? Well, you're right, listener. I did say that. K2 was scheduled to be on today's episode. But sometimes life gets in the way. She was sent out of town for work and wasn't able to do today's show. Luckily, Kat was able to take her place on such short notice. Thank you very much, Kat. Uh, again, super excited. I did not expect to read this book as fast as I did, but I got it done in like four days and it was super exciting. Awesome. Just gobbling it up. <laughs> well, good news, listener. K2 will be back soon and she'll be joining me for the next episode of the New Jedi Order. But now, it's listener question time, and we've got two questions today. The first comes from Randy Garcia. Randy says, Why did Obi-Wan disappear when Vader struck him down, but Qui-Gon Jinn still had a body and was burned at the end of The Phantom Menace? Well, thank you very much for the question, Randy. I don't know if there's a definitive answer, at least I couldn't find anything on StarWars.com or Wikipedia. But the most widely accepted answer that I did find in a lot of places on the internet, including Wikipedia, is that Qui-Gon Jinn only learned the ability to become one with the Force after he was killed. Qui-Gon then taught this ability to Yoda and Obi-Wan. And that explanation works for me. It also explains why Anakin's body didn't fade away when he died on the Death Star. Thank you very much for your email, Randy. Today's second email comes from Colin Rogers. Colin says, love the podcast. It's helping to satisfy my Star Wars itch. I have two questions for you about ship physics in the Disney canon that I find potentially lore-breaking. Both problems occur in Rogue One. We see a ship go to light speed while in the atmosphere of a planet. This also happened in the Rebels animated show. I believe the old EU explains that a ship needs to get out of a planet's gravity well before being able to jump to hyperspace. This seems to match with the original movies, like how the Millennium Falcon must leave Tatooine's gravity well when escaping Mos Eisley in A New Hope, and why the Rebel fleet gets trapped between Endor and the Imperial fleet in Return of the Jedi. Do you think these... This creates a problem. My second issue is in regards to Star Destroyers being able to hover in atmosphere in the Disney canon. 
wouldn't that negate the need to deploy walkers on Hawk if a Star Destroyer could simply pass through the deflector shield and hover in place? I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Thank you very much for the email, Colin, and thank you for the kind words about the podcast. These are tough questions. Your interpretation may be correct, but it doesn't really matter to me. I've never looked at Star Wars as a story with a bunch of hard rules. I mean, look at the Force and how it's used. The Force does what the story needs it to do at the time. And I think that's the same with everything in Star Wars, including how space travel works. Personally, as long as the story is good, differences in continuity don't bother me that much. And in my opinion, Colin... In the examples you provided, I think the drama and the tension in those parts of the films are heightened in the way that we saw them portrayed. Kat, do you have any opinions on Colin's questions? I think he does make some really good points. I like consistency when it comes to a lot of different things, but this is also a huge universe. And I kind of think it's fun to pick apart when you do find those inconsistencies. So it just kind of validates you as a fan of, yes, I am paying attention. And I did find these little nuggets, but it doesn't ruin it at all for me. I like finding that kind of stuff. So I personally have no explanation for Colin's point about Star Destroyers hovering in the atmosphere as how it pertains to the assault on Hoth. However, in the two examples he gave about the Millennium Falcon going to light speed in A New Hope and the Rebel fleet not being able to go to light speed at Endor, I went back and watched those parts of the movies. Han says they can't go to light speed until they get the coordinates from the Nava computer. He does not say anything about a gravity well. And in Return of the Jedi, Admiral Akbar actually tells Lando that they need to move the fleet away from the Death Star in order to make the jump to light speed because the Death Star is operational. He doesn't say anything about Endor's gravity well keeping it there. So I'm not sure that that's exactly how it went in the movies. Colin's absolutely right. Those are the explanations in the old EU in Legends. But the thing about Legends is it's not canon. So if that's not the way the people that are making Star Wars today interpret how light speed works, then I have no problem with it. I feel the same way. Like like you said, it added definitely to the drama of the whole scene and everything so i'm fine with that as an explanation and i think they did a good job with it so it is kind of what they make it and they put it into film well thank you again for the email colin and listener if you have a question or comment for the show like randy and colin did you can send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legends lounge one and if you'd like to get your voice on the show feel free to record an audio question and email it in you know, we haven't gotten many audio files in a while, but if you guys want to, go ahead, send it in. Just please help me out 
and record it in MP3 or MP4 format. All right, Cat, it's time for today's book, Agents of Chaos 1, Hero's Trial by James Luceno. Are you ready? Ready and raring to go. Well then, grab yourself a drink and let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The story begins above Obra Sky, a New Republic world known for its libraries and as a hub of research and enlightenment. Now, it's just the latest planet to fall to the Yuzhong Vong, who take the population captive, demanding information about the Jedi. High Priest Harar asks one of the captives to tell him about the Force. The prisoner says that the Force is an energy field that binds all living things, containing light and dark. Confused and frustrated, Harar orders the prisoners to be sacrificed to the Yuzhong Vong gods. Then, he tells his attendants that for the Vong to conquer the galaxy, they must learn more about the Force, and they must destroy the Force's most avid followers, the Jedi Knights. On Kashyyyk, the Wookiees hold a memorial service for Chewbacca, where they celebrate his life and his exploits. As Han listens to the ceremony, he remembers all the good times with his friend. Their smuggling days, running from corporate sector security, joining the rebellion against the Empire, and becoming a family after the war. Han's grief is still overwhelming. He can't get the image of Chewie's final moment on Serpendal out of his head. Following the memorial, Chewie's family meets with Han to console him. His wife Mala and son Waru present Han with gifts before asking Han when he and his family plan on leaving because the Wookiees need to prepare. Prepare for what? Han asks. To get Waru and Lobaka ready to assume Chewbacca's life debt, of course. The words stun Han, who tries to refuse. Chewie's dead. He died saving Anakin. The life debt is fulfilled. No, Chewbacca's father, Atichachuk, says. My son's life debt continues until your flame is extinguished. But Han isn't ready and the Wookiees see the pain in his eyes. They agree to give Han more time to grieve before sending Waru and Loi to Coruscant. On Obra Sky, the Yuzhong Vong hatch a plan to send a priestess of the Deception Sect undercover as a defector to try and get close enough to kill the Jedi. Harar and Executor Nam Anor present the plan to Malik Kar. The Yuzhong Vong commander is hesitant but eventually agrees. When the commander asks the priest who they will choose for the assignment, Harar sends for a priestess named Ilan and her companion, a Fosh named Vergir. Then Harar organizes a demonstration. He orders several captives into a sealed room with a single Yuzhong warrior. Ilan and Nam Anor watch as the warrior takes in a huge breath and then exhales. For a few moments, nothing happens. Then, the captives start choking. They begin to panic, running around the room, clawing at the door and the transparent steel walls. But quickly, they begin to fall and die, blood leaking from their noses and mouths. Finally, the warrior accepts his fate, takes another breath, and dies alongside the captives. Harar then turns and gives Elan her orders. 
she'll be infected with a deadly spore and be allowed to defect to the New Republic. Her job is to find a way to gather the Jedi and sacrifice herself to kill them. After Chewbacca's memorial service, Han tells Leia to take the Millennium Falcon and return to Coruscant. They argue, but Leia decides to give her husband his space. Before he leaves, Han speaks with his son. He tells Anakin he's sorry for the way he treated him after Chewbacca's death, but he needs to get away for a while. Anakin gives his father a multi-tool that Chewbacca had made for him, telling Han it'll be like Chewie keeping him company in his travels. After he leaves, Han meets up with an old spacer from his smuggling days, a man named Roa, whose wife was killed when a group of mercenaries working for the Yuzhan Vong attacked the planet at Zeri. Roa wants his revenge and asks Han to help him track down the mercenaries, a group called the Peace Brigade. Roa's information about the Peace Brigade leads to Ord Mantell. Han agrees to meet with Roa's contact, Fasco, on the space station orbiting the planet. The three former smugglers meet in a cantina, end up in a bar brawl, and get themselves arrested. Luckily, they're freed by a smuggling boss named Bungie, who tells them that the Peace Brigade has an operation coming up on Balbringi. The smuggler boss also gives them the name of the group's leader, an unscrupulous man named Rek Desh. Meanwhile, the New Republic light cruiser Soothfast is on patrol in the Meridian Sector when the crew detects a hyperspace anomaly. The ship goes to investigate and discovers a Yuzhan Vong ship chasing a small York coral vessel. Soothfast launches fighters. The captain orders the X-Wings to focus on the Vong coral skippers and protect the small Vong ship. Gauntlet Squadron attacks, employing the same tactics Rogue Squadron developed to combat the Vong fighters. The casualties are high, but eventually the gauntlets gain the upper hand, destroying all the coral skippers. Soothfast and the gauntlets turn their attention to the Vong warship, overwhelming its dove and basils by alternating lasers and proton torpedoes. Soon, the captain of the Vong warship decides he's had enough and flees. As the battle ends, the Soothfast captures the small York coral vessel Inside, they find two occupants, a Yuzhong Bong priestess and her companion. The New Republic transports Elan and Vergier to Wayland, where they're placed in the custody of intelligence agent Major Showalter. Showalter interrogates Elan, asking her why she abandoned her people and demanding to know what the Yuzhong Vong want. Elan says the Vong live by a code, but the biological weapon used to kill Ithor violated that code. Worse still, she says they plan to use it again. To show she's telling the truth, Elon says she knows where they plan to strike next. But just before she can tell Showalter, a Vong warrior bursts into the compound. The warrior kills Showalter's assistant, throws the intelligent agent against the wall, and lunges for Elon, grabbing her by the throat with both hands. He starts to strangle her when Showalter rises and shoots the warrior in the back of the head. Alarms sound as coral skippers appear in orbit. Quickly, Showalter grabs Elon and Vergier. He has to move them off Wayland. The Yuzhan Vong have found the safe house. On Coruscant, Agent Belindi Kalinda 
meets with the Senate Security and Intelligent Council and their guests, Luke Skywalker and Anakin Solo, and briefs them about the attack on Wayland. Most of the senators are skeptical of the defectors. Kalinda admits to be skeptical herself, but says the Vong priestess has offered information in exchange for meeting the Jedi. She says the NRI want to move Ilan and Brigir to Coruscant through an exchange point on Vilbringi. Luke asks if Ilan ever said why she wanted to speak with the Jedi. Kalinda says Ilan has information about a targeted disease that the Vong released in the galaxy a few years ago. The news startles Luke, and he gives Anakin a knowing look. But Luke doesn't say anything to the council. Finally, Senator Viki Sesh of Kuat asks what piece of intelligence Ilan is offering the New Republic. Kalinda says that according to Ilan, the next Yuzhan Vong attack will be on Ord Mantell. Han, Roa, and Fasco prepare to head to Balbringi to find the Peace Brigade when suddenly the Yuzhan Vong emerge from hyperspace. The invaders blast a hole in the side of the space station and release an enormous worm-like creature that begins inhaling everyone inside. Fasco is sucked into the mall while Han and Roa try desperately to hang on to something, anything, along the walls of the corridor. Hundreds of beings are inhaled by the maelstrom and swallowed by the monster. And soon, Roa tires. He lets go and disappears down its mouth. Clinging to a pipe by his fingertips, Han is jerked suddenly when a wren grabs hold of his legs. The two escape when Han is able to close the corridor's blast doors. After the attack ends, Han and the wren, a spacer named Droma, go to the station's hangar bay and board a refugee ship heading to Balbringi. Han still wants to find Rekdesh and stop the Peace Brigade. Little does Han know, but Leia is on the refugee ship trying to help the people that survived the attack on Ord Mantell relocate to planets in the Inner Rim. New Republic Intelligence is also there using the refugees as cover to transport Ilan to Belbringi. But the Peace Brigade knows about the defectors and sneak into Ilan's cabin. They shoot Showalter, but the agent flees into the crowded corridors with Ilan and Vergeer. They bump into Han and Droma, and Showalter turns the defectors over to them before collapsing from his wounds. Unfortunately, the group is captured by the Peace Brigade. Rek Desh takes Elan and Vergeer to the Peace Brigade's ship, hoping to return them to the Yuzhan Vong. Unbeknownst to Rek Desh, the Vong don't want Elon back. They want her taken to Coruscant. Naminor orders a Vong task force to trap the Peace Brigade with a Dovin Basal. The creature creates a powerful gravity well, stopping the Peace Brigade's transport as it starts to fly away from the refugee ship. Meanwhile, Han and Droma escape their captors and head to the landing bay. There, they find Leia and the Millennium Falcon. With no time to explain what's going on or why he's there, Han and Droma launch the Falcon in hot pursuit of Rekdesh. Han and Droma find the Peace Brigade transport drifting dead in space. Cautiously, they dock the Falcon alongside. Han goes aboard and finds Rekdesh and his strike team all dead. The bodies look gruesome, with blood running from their mouths and noses. 
he finds Elan and Brigir locked in a crate in the cargo compartment. Han asks what happened, but the two say they don't know. He takes the two back to the Falcon and heads off to Coruscant. Alone in the cockpit, Droma tells Han that something feels wrong. Elon's story, the dead Peace Brigade strike team, something doesn't add up. Han agrees and heads back to talk to the defectors. Eventually, he tricks Elon into telling a lie, revealing herself to be a fraud. Han shoves the priestess into the Falcon's escape pod, but she pulls him in with her, slamming his head against the wall. Through blurry vision, Han sees Elon smile. Breathe deeply, Han, she says, blowing out a dark cloud and turning for the hatch. But just then, the Falcon turns, causing Elon to lose her balance. The hatch closes, sealing her inside the pod with Han. He watches as she frantically claws at the hatch. Then, Han hears a voice in his head. Poisoned air, the voice says. Han quickly grabs Anakin's multi-tool and brings it to his lips, breathing from its compressed oxygen feature. Han watches as Elon dies. Suddenly, the pod's hatch opens, and Vergeer pulls Han out. She takes a drinking bulb and brings it to her eyes, filling it with her tears. Vergeer hands the bulb back to Han, tells him to give it to the Jedi, and then jumps in the escape pod. It launches and is picked up by Nam Anor's ship. The Vong cruiser jumps to hyperspace, leaving Han dumbfounded. Later on Coruscant, Luke and his wife Mara Jade Skywalker meet with a couple of doctors to discuss the bulb Vergeer gave to Han. After testing, the doctors say they can't find anything special about the liquid inside. It's consistent with the tears of many species, but Mara is drawn to the bulb. The mysterious disease she's been fighting for years is wearing her down. It's starting to win. Mara pours some of the liquid on her hands where it's quickly absorbed. She starts to faint, but Luke catches her. It's working, Mara says. I can feel it working. The story ends in the solo apartment. Han tells Leia he's not ready to return home yet. He vows to find out what happened to Roa and Fasco, and he vows to help Droma to reunite with his family, just a few of the refugees scattered by the Yuzhong Vong. Time for a break. When we return, Kat and I will talk more about Agents of Chaos 1, Heroes Trial. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Thank you for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. But let me take a moment and recommend a book from Star Wars canon. Aftermath, Life Debt, continues the story of Nora Wexley's group, chasing Imperial Admiral Ray Sloan, while Han Solo vows to liberate Chewbacca's home world. Han enlists Nora, her son Snap, Jom, Jap, and Sinjir for help. Can our heroes fight off the Empire and free Kashyyyk? Find out in Aftermath, Life Debt, by Chuck Wendig, the second book in the Aftermath trilogy.
Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today, Kat and I are talking about Agents of Chaos One, Heroes Trial, by James Luceno, the fourth book in the New Jedi Order series. Well, Kat, Han Solo was definitely the center of this story. Uh, What did you think about the book? Did you enjoy it? I really enjoyed it. I loved Han as the main character. I was really intrigued uh, throughout the beginning of the series of Han dealing with Chewie's death. So we got a little bit more of that. We got a little because the other couple of stories then kind of shifted back to the solo kids and the conflict happening. So this one, we got uh, a little bit more of a focused view on Han. I was really excited to get that. When The Force Awakens came out in 2015, I remember one of the things that some people that watched the movie had questions about was Han and Leia's separation after losing their son to the First Order. But it reminded me of this storyline in the New Jedi Order series, that when things go badly for Han emotionally, he can't handle it. And he runs away, and he reverts to what he remembers from him when he was younger. What do you think about this character trait for Han Solo? Definitely think it's consistent. Um, I do struggle with it a little, only in that there is a line in here uh, where Leia talks about, you know, you kind of played the part of a family man for so long, and now you're reverting back to those smuggler ways and kind of being a little bit more closed off. So I think it, it definitely adds to their relationship dynamic that she knows this about him. She knows that he's capable of kind of a different style of thinking, but definitely um, with Chewie's death, he's kind of reverting back to those old ways. So I think it's consistent and I really like it that he's kind of struggling back and forth. I mean, he's not just got this direct character arc of, okay, I'm the hero now and I do everything right. That's boring. If you look at it, the other way when things get difficult in the galaxy Leia reverts to what she does best sometimes at the sacrifice of her relationship with Han in Legends in this point in the story Leia has been the chief of state of the entire New Republic government she has given that up kind of to go into retirement. But now we see in these first few books of this series, she's going around to various planets, asking them to help, asking them to give aid to refugees. There was an argument in one of the earlier stories from Han's point of view. I thought in our golden years here, this would be more you and me but you are still putting the galaxy first. So I think with both characters, Han and Leia, they always seem to revert to what they enjoyed doing the most in their teens and in their 20s. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. That's a great point. And I definitely feel that both characters are trying to be two things at once they're trying to be them their younger selves wherever they're 
making their own decisions. They're helping the galaxy in the best way that they think they can and going after their own desires, but also where these people that have this life together, we have this home on Coruscant, we have these kids that we've raised. So we're trying, they're trying to be both people at once. And so this conflict, now that their kids are old enough and they're able to kind of revert back to those old ways, they're kind of slipping back into their old skins. In the first few New Jedi Order books, we really only saw members of the Yuuzhan Vong warriors, the warrior cast. Now, we see the priest cast with Harar and Elon. I will tell you going forward, there are a couple other casts that come around. So, what do you think about Yuuzhan Vong society and... Do you have any expectations in how these casts interact as we get further along in the series? Um, it definitely feels um, like a well-lived-in society with these kind of cast systems. I mean, we have real-world examples of those and everything. So I definitely feel like it seems consistent for them that they have... I mean, they have such strong convictions about the roles that they play in their society so it makes sense that those roles would be very rigid that you have the warriors that you have the religious people that you have x y and z you have these very particular boxes that you need the society to fit in and that's kind of what they're they want to do to this galaxy overall is they also want to fit people into these boxes so i like it i think it's a good uh, system for them to work through so do you anticipate any conflict between the casts oh 100 percent. you can see it in this book that the commander was not really certain about sending the priestess as a spy but he was like sure i guess we can give the plan a go i don't see how it could go wrong in the long run so but i definitely think that there's a little bit of friction between the groups already so excited to see how those kind of break up or go forward from here what do you think about Vergeer? i am very intrigued by her i love her because she is the double agent throughout this whole thing um i am definitely convinced that she helped them because she wanted to get back to her people i mean she had been basically long time ago kidnapped by the Vong so that they could study the species that inhabited this galaxy I think and so she had been made a companion and you know went along with it so that she could stay alive and when she got the opportunity to finally break out of this role she was like I can finally take off these masks that I've been wearing and playing all of these different sides at the end of the story, it does seem that Vergeer helped our heroes. Elon was sent to try and kill as many Jedi as possible. Under the auspice of saying that she had information about the disease that had been slowly killing Mara. But yet, Vergeer's tears seem to be helping Mara. At least Mara believes those tears are helping her. Why do you think Vergeer offered that possible cure up for our heroes? 
Well, with your uh, suspicious face that you're giving me. <laughs> I don't want to um, give too up, too much up. Yeah, this is yeah. the third, maybe the fourth time I've read the New Jedi Order. So I know where All we're right. going. But <laughs> I, I do find that one passage, it was a passage I kind of remembered, but I didn't remember the details to it. And reading it this time, I paid really close attention to how James Luceno worded everything in there. And I just think it's interesting. And I wanted you as someone, this is your first time reading the New Jedi Order. What did you think of that scene? Well, definitely. um, I think I put more importance on whenever she said, now I can go back to my people. I think that's where I put the emphasis. But in seeing that those tears seemingly helped, although Mara did almost pass out from them, and they were a temporary fix, not a an actual cure or anything like that, definitely she could be trying to gain their trust. She could be, you know... Like I said, playing the double agent or really just being the spy the whole time and doing a really good job of it. I mean, Elan could have been getting the training, but Vergeer could have been right alongside her also getting that spy training. So very easily could be that she's a double spy or she's just a regular spy. And I think either way, she's dang good at her job because I don't know what side she's on. I I don't know, just from your description there, whether she's a spy a double spy or a triple spy. And I don't really know what double spy and triple spy means. Like who is she spying for? Right. Exactly. Is it just for herself? Is she, what is she doing? What are her plans? She's doing a very good job at hiding them. Okay. So at the beginning of this story, we've got Chewbacca's memorial and Han refusing for now to allow Chewie's son, Lumpararu, in the real old expanded universe, he was called Lumpy. I like how James Luceno decided to change his name here and say that now that he's an adult, he's decided to go to buy Waru. But at least for now, Han's not allowing Chewie's son or Chewie's nephew, Lobaka, to accompany him. But... Later in the story, we now have Droma, a character who seems to be accompanying Han. What did you think about Droma? I really liked Droma's character. I am excited to learn more about him. Um, He definitely seems like something that Han needs. Um, He's pretty intuitive, and he is... he, He knows... It's hard to describe, but I feel like he knows Han better than he knows himself only in going through this grief. He can see him going through grief, so he sees the stages that he needs to get to. And so by interacting with him in particular ways, he's kind of able to either confront that grief or talk about that grief in little bits and sections here and there. Whereas um, I think the introduction of the other Wookiees they might just continuously remind him of Chewbacca and keep him in that uh, grief state versus trying to progress him through it. 
I remember reading this in the early 2000s, and some people, mostly the people that were really upset with Chewbacca being killed in Vector Prime, I mean, I was upset too, but I wasn't upset that this is the worst thing that's ever happened to Star Wars. I was upset because, oh, Chewie died. You know, I love Chewie. But I did kind of get some of their perspective when it came to this book that with Han running around the galaxy, he needs a companion. And I like Droma. I like where Droma's story goes in the next few books. But part of me does feel like this is a replacement on some level for Chewbacca. Not on the same level as Chewie but almost that Han isn't as interesting a character if he does not have that companion with him. And I kind of understand that opinion from the people who read it that way. Yeah, I think he's definitely a character that needs somebody to be able to verbally spar with. You need to be able to hear those quips. You need to be able to... Um, see him having conflicts or doing things his own way and it still work out, you know. So I think he does have to have that companion. And so it does feel shoehorned no matter what companion you put in that spot. But I'm also, I think that there are so many storylines happening. I like the consistency that we get with Han and that we know that we're going to get some crazy antics and I like the characters we meet along the way. So I think his is definitely more a character driven storyline. So we always have to have those uh, ancillary characters there with him. What do you think would have happened had Elon been able to speak with a large group of Jedi? I think it's a very fair chance that she would have killed off more of the Jedi when they are so few in number. Anyway, I think that she probably could have succeeded in taking out some of them. Now, do Luke and Mara and some of the kids have plot armor? Quite possibly. But they could have been infected, then they could have been sick, and then the story would have, you know, went in an interesting direction in that the galaxy needs the Jedi to help fight the Vong, but they're all sick or they're all fighting their own battles with this disease. So it definitely would have spelt some bad news for the New Republic. Last question that I have, based upon where the story ended, what do you think is going to happen to Han in the next book or two? I think it's very possible that he could be captured or he could be um, thought as missing or something because he's going in. I mean, it seems like his plan is to go into enemy space to find uh, his missing companions. And I think he's in a mental spot to where he will go past the ends of the earth to find these people because he's kind of trying to save Chewbacca all over again. He wants to be able to find these people. He wants to be able to restore them. He's got to restore his honor, something like that. 
So I definitely think it's possible that he goes missing in this attempt or he gets captured or something bad because he's just going up against too many. Well, it's almost time to go, but recently I've received some Star Wars character groupings. The first ones come from listener Waylon, who sent in some planetary blockade groups from across the different Star Wars eras. Wow, neat. This is the first time we've gotten any of these. From the Old Republic, Commanders Revan, Bastilashan, and Karth Onasti, commanding the Endar Spire. From the Sith Empire, Darth Malak and Admiral Saul Karuth, commanding the Leviathan. From the Galactic Republic era, Mace Windu and Admiral Killian, in command of the Endurance. The Separatist blockade is Count Dooku and General Grievous, commanding the Invisible Hand. From the Rebel Alliance, it's Admiral Akbar and Admiral Radis on Home One. From the Galactic Empire, it's Darth Vader and Admiral Piet on the Super Star Destroyer Executor. And from the Resistance, it's General Leia Organa and Poe Dameron on the Radis. Thank you very much for the email, Waylon. Our second email comes from Benjamin, who sent in the characters he'd like to see in a Starfighter Squadron. Cat, please share Indigo Squadron with us. Indigo Leader, the squadron commander and leader of one flight, Anakin Skywalker in a Jedi Starfighter. Indigo 2, Jedi Master Plo Koon, also in a Jedi Starfighter. Indigo 3, Luke Skywalker in an X-Wing. Indigo 4, Wedge Antilles, also in an X-Wing. Indigo 5, the leader of two flight, Hera Sandula in an A-Wing. Indigo 6, Sabine Wren, also in an A-Wing. Indigo 7, Din Jaren in his N-1 Starfighter. Indigo 8, Bo-Katan Kreese in a Mandalorian Gauntlet Fighter. Indigo 9, the leader of three flight, Kean Farlander, in a Y-Wing. Indigo 10, Poe Dameron, also in a Y-Wing. Indigo 11, Boba Fett, in Slave 1. Indigo 12, Hondo Onaka, in his ZH-40 light freighter. Benjamin also has two support ships in his squadron. From the Jedi Fallen Order and Jedi Survivor video games, it's Grease Drydus and Cal Kestis in the Stinger Mantis. And from the first season of Star Wars Visions, support Jedi Master Tajin Crosser and Padawan Dan Gravash in their patrol craft. Thank you very much for the email, Benjamin. Listener, if you have a character group you'd like us to read on the show, you can send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send a tweet at legendslounge1. Now it is time to wrap up. Thank you again, Kat, for joining me today. If listeners would like to check you out or hear more from you or contact you, how can they do that? Well, our podcast is called Animated Antics, where we cover different animated shows one season at a time. But our next episode will actually be covering both seasons of The Bad Batch. So really keeping in the Star Wars theme of things. So you can find our podcast on Twitter at J and Cat, that's cat with a K, one, or find me personally 
at Delancey Cat. Now, coming up on the next episode, K2 will join me to wrap up the Agents of Chaos duology. That's Agents of Chaos 2, Jedi Eclipse by James Luceno. You can look forward to that episode coming up on June 9th. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends. <laughs>